Heavenly Father, we thank you for the love of Christ today. Lord, we're thankful that we can assemble here together in the name of Jesus, knowing that you do love each one of us here in a special and personal way. Lord, you know everything about us, yet you still love us. Lord, help us to worship you. Help us to let that love change us into your image, that when the world looks at us, they see your love. We ask that you would take this service and make it profitable for our service for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please remain John 3.16. Would you quote it with me this morning as we begin? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. How many of you believe that verse this morning? Say amen. I'll tell you, we know about God's love. That's what this book is all about. I've met a few people over the years, and they've had many, many difficult relationships with other human beings. And I've heard some people actually say, but no one has ever loved me. One of the great joys of being a Bible-believing Christian is I can always say that's not true. That is not true. Maybe another human being has not loved you. But let me tell you, God loves you. And he knows everything about you. And he still loves you. I love Pastor Thompson's testimony. That, that was his, he would say that often and seldom did he ever say that, that there wasn't a tear in his eye. And I think of that this morning. I want to preach about God's love. Now, there's no way we can cover that subject in one message. And so I want to hone in on a specific facet uh, of that love. There are just a few times in the Bible, in the Gospels, during the ministry of Christ, where it actually said that Jesus loved a certain person. Now, we know that Jesus is God and that Jesus loved everyone and everything he did was because of love. But there was a few special people where it just says Jesus loved them, loved him. In fact, John is called the beloved disciple and under the influence of the Holy Spirit as he penned the scriptures, he would call himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. He would not even use his name. He would just use that title. There was something special there. Now, was it that God was giving something special to John that he refused to give to anyone else? Of course not. God is not a respecter of persons. Not a very good example, but let me just try to illustrate it this way. How many of you remember when you were in school, the teacher had a pet? And it always seemed that everything got pushed their way. And of course, you weren't the teacher's pet. But looking back on that, most of the time, do you know why that person was the teacher's pet? Because the teacher had the least amount of problems with that person. Might that be true? Might it actually be true that the reason the teacher favored that student over others is because that student, through their behavior and their activity, actually made it easier for the teacher to teach. At least they felt like that student was receiving what they were teaching 
and was actually learning and going further and, and didn't have to be, um, uh, shall we say, um, disciplined into learning. Uh, is that a nice way to put it? I mean, how many of you remember, I don't like this class, I don't like this teacher, I don't want to learn? Well, the teacher knew that, whether you thought you were hiding it or not. And you may have wondered why the teacher was a little more abrupt. Well, you were making it harder. I, I don't believe that John was a beloved disciple because Jesus picked him out and said, I'll make this my special little pet. No, I think it was because John was a little more in line with his heart and his thinking. It didn't take as much work for Jesus to penetrate John as, let's say, Peter. I mean, Peter was just one of those high-maintenance disciples, wasn't he? I mean, there was always something that had to be done, and yet Jesus gave him the position of leadership among the apostles because that's who Peter was. That's who, where his abilities were. But it, it took a lot more work for Peter than it did for the disciple whom Jesus loved. Amen? And so I want us to start in John chapter 13. John chapter 13. And we're just going to look at some places in the Bible where it says that Jesus loved a group of people or an individual and, of course, we're not going to be able to cover all of the passages. There aren't really that many, shockingly few. But John chapter 13, this was the night Jesus was betrayed. They were eating the Passover meal together, Jesus and his disciples. This is often called the Last Supper. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Now this is a testimony that John is giving. Jesus loved his disciples. He invested his life into teaching those disciples and training them. And when Jesus left this world, he entrusted to 11 of those 12 men the entire plan of God for the ages, the local church. I'll tell you what, that is an amazing Thing, is it not? The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that Jesus died for his church. Amen? And we are looking to be a part of that church and that movement to be the church of Jesus Christ right here in Astoria. We are meeting together to serve the Lord Jesus Christ today. Amen? Well, three of us are. Amen? No. We're, we, that's what the church is about. The church is the body of Christ. We take direction from Him to do what He wants done. If you're going to serve Christ today, I want to challenge you, you must do so through and under the direction of a local, independent, Bible-believing, and I believe the name ought to have Baptist in it somewhere, church. You see, the name Baptist doesn't give you anything special, but historically it identifies us with people who only believe the Bible, nothing else. 
Someone once asked a Baptist preacher, there was some big political meeting early in the colonies of the United States, I mean, just after we had become a country. And they were talking about all these different things going on in universities started by the Presbyterians and by different groups. And somebody said, what have you Baptists ever done? And the preacher just looked at them and said, uh, freedom of conscience. You know, no other religion can claim that. That's a Bible principle. Self-determination. Our founding fathers called it the pursuit of happiness. It's not you get to do what you want. It's that you have the right to choose a life that will benefit not only you, but society as a whole. That's what true Christianity is about. And that is a Baptist, that is a Bible principle. So we make no apologies for being Baptist today. The apostles were entrusted. Everything we have today is because of their ministry. And here's what it says. It says that Jesus loved them. He loved them to the end. How many of you know what happens next? He washes their feet, does he not? Now, some churches have taken a hold of this foot washing thing and they actually have ceremonies in their church where they wash people's feet and some have gone so far to make it an ordinance like baptism in the Lord's Supper and and to make that a part of Uh, uh, of their actual religious ceremony. That's not what Jesus was teaching here. Jesus was trying to demonstrate his love. As I have loved you. He says he wants us to love others. Now, Jesus washed Judas's feet. You see, Jesus loved his disciples. And we're not going to take time this morning to read the whole story, but how many of you remember what happened when he came to Peter? Peter said, no, 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 Lord. You're not going to wash my feet. Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. Peter said, okay, bath. You could just see him taking his robes and all the other disciples are going, no. Jesus said, wait a minute. You don't need a bath, Peter. You just need your feet washed. You see, when you come to Jesus and accept him as your savior, he cleanses you. From all sin. He can do that because he paid for every sin on Calvary's cross. One sacrifice for all sin forever. You know what our problem is? We say, well, Lord, it's for all sin except this one. Wrong. No one can hurt you or do something to you that Jesus Christ hasn't already paid for on the cross. Amen? On the opposite side of that coin, you cannot do anything once you are saved. You cannot sin, commit an act that will move you beyond the forgiveness of God because he forgave every sin before you were ever born. How many of you are glad of that second part? Amen? But how humbling had to it have been for the disciples to sit there At the Passover meal, the most holy night 
uh, of the entire Jewish religious year. They were assembled together. If you remember, Passover was not just a, a party time to, to, to be among friends and, and celebrate certain things. It was set up to be celebrated family by family. And if your family was so small that it could not eat an entire lamb, you were supposed to go next door and get with another family so that there would be enough people there to partake and to eat of one lamb. It was a family-oriented dinner. Jesus, by celebrating the Passover with his disciples, was making this more than just a Passover with his, those whom he loved. He said, you are my family. We are connected intimately much more than even my own brothers and sisters, humanly speaking, of which Jesus had brothers and sisters. They had the same mother, just only Jesus was born without the intervention of a human father. In that intimacy there, now the disciples, they knew who Jesus is already. Peter had already confessed, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. In chapter 6, as we went through on Thursday night, Peter said, again, speaking for the disciples, To whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. They had watched him raise Lazarus from the dead that had been in the grave for four days. They knew who Jesus was. And on this most holy, worshipful night, as they were assembled together with the Lord, you were to eat the Passover girded with your shoes on and ready to go. That was part of the ritual because they ate the dinner in Egypt and that night they were thrust out of the land of Egypt and had to leave. Maybe that's one of the reasons no one bothered to wash their feet because their shoes were still on. Shoes were dirty things. And yet here we have Jesus literally laying aside his garments, taking a towel and wrapping himself with it, and going up to the first disciple and unbinding his shoes, no buckles, Velcro, uh, nice little ties like we have today, taking a bowl of water and pouring the water, putting the water in his hands and letting it run over the feet to make them wet. And then he began to take that towel that was covering him and scrub the dirt off of the feet. But there was silence in the room, don't you think? But that first disciple that he washed his feet was ashamed. I mean, I imagine his face was just, Purple. I don't know why Jesus is doing this to me. Maybe, you know, just humanly thinking, is, you know, maybe my feet smell worse than anybody else's. Who knows? I mean, these things had to be going through their minds, trying to figure out what was going on. And then after he finished the first one's feet, he moved to the next one and repeated the ritual. There was only one Lord washing feet. This probably took to get through 12 set of feet easily. If he was moving very fast, and I don't believe he was, you figure three or four minutes per set of foot, that would be moving pretty fast now, wouldn't it? There you got a 36 minutes. This would have went on more likely for close to an hour. What did the disciples do while Jesus was doing this? 
Same thing you and I would have done. They were trying to figure this out. John figures it out for us, praise the Lord. It says, Jesus loved them. And when it was done, let's go down to verse 12. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done unto you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, yet also ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done unto you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Jesus was saying, John gives the testimony he loved his disciples. Jesus was saying, listen, if you're going to be my disciple, I want you to follow my example. You know what it is the job of the Christian to do? Is it not to serve one another in love? Is it not to help people with their difficulties? You know what? I do not have answers for your problems. But I can take you to one that does. If you've ever come to my office and said, Pastor, i got a question. What's the first thing we always do? We open this book because that's where the answers are. We pray because I want God to give us the answers that are in his book. Amen? I want you to understand something. This whole ordeal with Peter, God wanted in there because he wants you and I to understand something. You cannot keep yourself clean. You've got to go to the Savior. You've got to, in essence, on a daily basis, if not an hourly basis, You must spend some time in prayer with the Savior. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what? You can't wash your feet because you didn't die on the cross. We have this really worldly philosophy in in our hearts that must be fought against. You cannot take care of the little sins and let Jesus take care of the big ones. Jesus loves you. But if you don't allow him to cleanse you daily and regularly, you're not of his. You've got to go back. You've got to let the Savior keep you clean. You can't keep yourself clean. How many of you have ever tried to live perfectly? Now don't look at me that way. Most of you have. Please, don't ever get to the point to where you, as many people who call themselves Christians, just give up and say, well, I can't live perfectly, so I'll just give up. No. The Bible tells us we keep going back to Jesus because he loved us, because he's there to do what only he can do. You cannot keep yourself clean. You must go to the Savior. This is the picture. 
And what is our job? How do we live this example out? It's very simple. We're to come alongside our fellow believers in Christ and help them back to the Savior. Because that's the only place you can get clean. Amen? This is Jesus' love. We're to serve one another, not to be lords over each other, not to sit in judgment of each other. But sometimes, somebody just needs a helping hand. Let's go back to Jesus. Amen? Aren't you glad Jesus loved his disciples? And by the way, though you cannot be in this group specifically, these were 12 men that Jesus called and also named apostles. He wants every believer in Christ to be his disciple and to follow in their footsteps and in their example. Not just preachers, but every believer in Christ. You know why? Because he loves you as much as he loved them. But you can make it easier on him to love you by receiving that love and walking in it every day. Amen? Let's turn to John chapter 11. Excuse me. John chapter 11. This is another place where it says Jesus loved these people. Now let's start in verse 1. Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Verse 5, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now it just makes that statement there, that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now, Mary had a special position in the Scriptures. Jesus said everywhere the gospel of of Jesus Christ was going to be preached, they were going to tell the story of what Mary did the night before the triumphal entry when she broke that alabaster box upon his head and wiped his feet with the hairs of her head, anointed his body, with a very special ointment, the highest act of worship upon the person of the Lord Jesus Christ recorded in the Scriptures. You know, John, when somebody had that intimate, special relationship with the Lord, uh, he doesn't use their name. That's why her name isn't there. But he does say Jesus loved Martha. I don't know how many preachers I've heard preach bad things about Martha. Now, let me tell you, Jesus loved Martha. He loved Lazarus too. Now, Jesus loved them, it tells us. And yet, unlike the story we just read where Jesus washed their their feet and humbled the disciples and and gave them all of these things that they would think about all their life long and maybe never even fully comprehend. He was going to do something starkly different to Martha, Mary, and Lazarus because of his love. Isn't that right? Jesus loved them, but he was going to do some things to them that's not going to be pleasant. He was going to put them through some difficulties 
of which if any of them had a choice, they would have said, Lord, we'd, we'd rather do it a little different way. But there was no different way. Lazarus had to die. Normally, you only get to do that once. Lazarus was going to have to do it twice. He didn't know or understand that. He just knew he was sick. And most of the time, when you are that sick, you may be aware that death is coming, but you're not aware of very much else. And his sister sent immediately, Lord, he whom thou lovest is sick. There was something there. They didn't even have to put Lazarus' name on the note. Now Jesus had preached to the multitudes. There was not a living person in the land of Israel that did not know who Jesus is nor, and that did not have an opportunity to hear him preach and teach in person. He was everywhere. He was up and down through that land he traveled. But Jesus knew these three people very well. And so Jesus honored their request by ignoring it for two more days uh, because he loved them. Lazarus died the day that Jesus got the request. By the time Jesus traveled from where he was to where they lived, Lazarus had been in the grave for four days. But I want to remind you that Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. I want you to understand that Lazarus was in eternity at this point. But Martha and Mary did not feel like Jesus had loved them. They felt like he had ignored them, which he had. He had purposely chosen not to answer their request. Now, under normal circumstances, when a person is dead, uh, that's rather permanent. I've had uh, many times discussions and the, the, well, Pastor, what do you think about these near-death experiences? I said, well, you've just answered the question yourself. Oh, oh, near death, yes. It's not death and resurrection. When you've been laying on the table and your heart's not been beating for a matter of moments there and they are able to resuscitate you, I mean, there's some amazing things that have happened. People fallen into a very cold water and, and have been in there, I think, up to 20 minutes maybe even and have been revived uh, because the cold water stopped the dying process and they were able to be brought uh, back to life. They were able to be resuscitated. Oftentimes they suffer great damage to the brain and other things when that happens, but they weren't dead. When a person is dead, you can't bring them back, no matter what you do. Only in science fiction. And that's usually a poor, poor, poor substitute for the truth. But yet, Lazarus had been in the grave for four days. And when Jesus got there... Martha had met him on the way. Mary was in the house. And Lazarus was in the tomb. And Martha took Jesus. Uh, as soon as she had met Jesus, she went to the house and called Mary and brought her to the place, to the tomb where uh, Lazarus had been buried. And in verse 35, the shortest verse in your entire Bible Jesus got to the tomb of Lazarus and Jesus 
wept. I mean, that is a sign of sorrow and love. When you love someone in this life and they pass away, there's nothing wrong with weeping tears. But most of the time when we weep at the grave of a loved one, it's not because we're sad for them. They're doing better than they ever have if they're Christian. They're with the Savior. It's our loss that we're weeping for. So make sure you don't shed too many tears. Amen. Now, do you think Jesus was sad because he couldn't see Lazarus again? That's why he was crying. That doesn't make any sense now, does it? Because he knew he was going to resurrect Lazarus from the grave and he was going to see Lazarus again in just a few minutes. And and the subject of this morning's message is not to answer the question why Jesus wept. But could we just suffice to say Jesus wept because he loved Lazarus and he loved Mary and he loved Martha and he was really emotionally upset and grieved because how they were responding to his love? They weren't responding very well now, were they? I often wonder if Jesus may have wept just a little bit because Lazarus, in a very small way, was going to experience what Jesus had. He was on the other side and had seen God and all of these things, and now he was going to have to come back into a world where he would be accused. Lazarus would be accused and plotted against by the very people that were plotting against Jesus. I often wonder if that wasn't more of a reason why Jesus wept than any other. But you know, one of the things that real love does is it transfers some of the burdens of this life to someone else. Isn't that what Isn't that what makes marriage such a wonderful thing? Is when that person beside you has committed to helping you in spite of the fact of who you are. I mean, my favorite way to sum it up is is home is where they have to let you in. Amen? But love is when a person has chosen to allow you to be a burden to them. Isn't that love? And Jesus loved these people. And he was transferring to them just a little bit of the burden of showing the world who he is. Now, if we put it up that way, how many people would be willing to join Mary, Martha, and Lazarus? Wouldn't you want the privilege of showing the love of Jesus and the power of Jesus and the person of Jesus to the world in which we live? And if that doesn't sound vaguely familiar, that's what the Great Commission is all about. Amen? But Jesus loved them And in verse 40, he has to explain it a little bit to Martha. Let's read verse 39. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been in the uh, dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. That was a difficult thing. I wish we could, you could get a hold of how difficult this was. There was no embalming in all of the things that we do today. This, this was sickening. When you opened that grave, it, it would make you ill. You know, Martha really didn't want to be reminded of how dead her brother was. 
But when they opened that grave, let me tell you something. There's nothing in the Scripture that said that God preserved Lazarus from the normal processes of decay while he was waiting. It was... I, I believe it was bad. I believe the poor guys that had to roll that stone away from the door were probably nauseous. You know, Jesus did not touch Lazarus because grave clothes that had been in the grave for four days couldn't be made clean. Only Lazarus could be made alive. Are you seeing this? And Martha said, Lord, you really don't want to do that to me. It's what she was saying. And the Lord said, how do you, do you want to see the glory of God? She said, okay, whatever you say, Lord. You know, sometimes the Lord loves us because he loves us. He will put us in some terribly difficult situations. Because he's got a bigger plan. He's got something else. I mean, the story of Job, last Sunday's sermon. He's got something else that's going on. God is not persecuting you. He loves you. He is not trying to hurt you or put you through unnecessary suffering. He loved Martha. He loved Mary. He loved Lazarus. Don't you think the first thing Lazarus said was, Jesus, can I go back? I mean, if you had the choice between living in with the Lord, we believe Abraham, he was with Abraham and, and read Luke chapter 16. He was in a place the Bible calls paradise, Abraham's bosom. If you had the choice between living there and here on earth, would you want earth? I mean, you might think you would now, but let me tell you something. Once you've seen the heavenly, you won't want this again. But Lazarus had to live here again because Jesus loved him. See, that's why Mary did what she did. She was trying to show back the love that Jesus had given her. But she didn't receive that love very gracefully at first, now did she? Martha said, Lord, I know even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask, God will give it thee. After she said, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Mary just said, Lord, if you could have only showed up, Lazarus wouldn't have had to die. I wouldn't be hurting the way I am. If you had only showed up, but you didn't. That's why Jesus wept. Sometimes I wonder how often he weeps at choices I have made and responses I have made to his love. Sunday morning is a fitting time to think about those things. You see, Jesus loves you. But sometimes that love is going to take you places you don't want to go. It is going to bring things in your life that you don't want to be there. It is going to bring suffering that is going to pierce to the very essence of your being. But Jesus loved Martha and her sister, and Lazarus. And Jesus loves you too. Will you receive his love, even if it means walking through 
suffering in this life. I hope and pray that you would. So often the key to suffering is understanding that Jesus still loves you. Amen? Let's look at one more. Mark chapter 10. This is a story we call of the rich young ruler. And we're not going to take time to go through the whole story this morning. I, I want to be careful here. But verse 21, this young man had come to Jesus as he was leaving the town. He came running. Mark tells us he was rich, he was a young, he was a ruler, and he was young. It would be like having the mayor of the town, come running out of the town and falling in the dust of the street in front of Jesus. And he said, Good Master, what might I, must I do to inherit eternal life? It says, Good Master, verse 17, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now, Jesus cuts to the quick, verse 21. Look what it says. Then Jesus, beholding him, what's those next two words? Loved him. It says, then Jesus, beholding him, Jesus looked at this man as he was standing up in front of him, the dust of the street clinging to his uh, garments that showed that not only was he a very wealthy man, that he was a powerful man. He was in charge of things. How ridiculous does it look when you get just big patches of dust and dirt all over a brand new suit? I mean, it looks pretty silly, doesn't it? And he had willingly done this, fell on his knees before Jesus Not a paved street like we do, but a street of dirt. And he was standing there, smudges all over his clothes, possibly even on his face. And it says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. But now he's going to say some things that don't seem so very loving, isn't he? It says, Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. You know what? Jesus knew what the problem was. He gave him the standard answer, Keep the commandments. By the way, has anybody ever kept the commandments? Only one. That's Jesus. He said, but I've done that. I, I know that I don't have eternal life. This is what he was admitting. So what do I need? And Jesus said, only one thing. Get rid of everything. Take up a cross and follow me. The Bible says he went away grieved. He got up and began dusting himself off. That act of humility was wasted, he thought. Jesus didn't answer my question the way I wanted him to. It's best just to clean myself off and do the best I can. I wish I had a dollar for every person that told me, well, I'm doing the best I can. I'd be richer than the mayor. Because everybody thinks they're doing the best they can. It's not good enough, my friend. You see, he loved his possessions more than he loved the Lord. He would rather have 
his position and his power and his wealth in this life than the love of Christ for all eternity. That was the choice he was making, was it not? And yet, as he got away, as he turned around and began to walk away, I want you to get the picture that is here. Here is this rich young ruler. He begins dusting himself off. He walks away. He's sorrowful. Maybe he's even weeping. How ridiculous a picture would that be as the smudges of dust on his face now start running dark with the tears. He said he was very sorrowful. And Jesus calls his disciples over and begins talking to them. And I believe that the, the way the picture is painted here, in a voice that this man heard as he was walking away. Jesus, it says here, verse 23, and Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God. Now, here's this young man who has humbled himself in an incredible way. He has fallen on his face before the Lord. He is getting up. He is walking away. He is very sorrowful. He's emotionally distraught. And Jesus said, I want you disciples to understand how difficult it is for a rich man, those that have riches, to go to heaven. Doesn't that sound kind of cutting to you? But wait a minute, let's go back here. It says that Jesus beholding him loved him. He was saying this for a purpose, my friend. He had a reason in his disciples now. They had been influenced by the uh, culture of their times. If you are wealthy, if you have what you need, well, it's because God blessed you, right? Not always. But God's not afraid of blessing and allowing unsafe people to have things. God's not afraid of that. If all you're going to have is what you have in this earth, then I, I hope you have a lot. But when you get past this life, you're going to wish you didn't have it. And so Jesus is saying how difficult it is. He was trying to help this man understand how tough it would be for him to turn around and get past himself so that he could believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on, his disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them? that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. There's an exclamation point in my Bible, my friend. He had lifted up his voice. The man was farther away, but he could still hear the words that were there and were being spoken. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. How many of you have felt it was impossible to serve the Lord with your life? It's impossible to live. I remember a lady years ago was witnessing to her, and she said, But I can't walk the narrow way, Pastor. I said, Welcome to the human race. Nobody can. Say, man, it's impossible. But you see, with God, all things are possible. Why? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, rich, poor, smart, 
ignorant, wise, foolish, free, enslaved, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, the disciples already had that relationship. They just needed to remember that I've got to come to Jesus every day and let him wash my feet. Amen. Mary and Martha already believed in Jesus and Lazarus. But Jesus said, listen, I would like to use you to show the world who I am. What an amazing task. But it meant they had to go through the suffering of burying Lazarus. And by the way, when a person's been dead for four days, is there any difference between four days or 4,000 years? Jesus was showing his power of the resurrection. I'm looking forward to that resurrection. Every time I think of the resurrection, I've got a special place in my heart and mind on a hillside in Pennsylvania can't wait till I'm back together with those again. Because he raised Lazarus. He's going to raise them too. Amen? He loves all of us. But if you have something in your life that's more important than the Savior, it is not His love that's not working. It is you who are rejecting it. Will you let Jesus love you? Because when you receive His love, it changes you. It makes you do things you don't want to do. Not one of those disciples wanted Jesus to wash their feet. That was humiliating for them. But then they understood. They needed to be humiliated so they could serve the Savior. Amen. Mary and Martha and Lazarus didn't want to go through what they went through. But when it's all said and done, Mary was so full of praise that the only thing she could do was take the most precious possession that she had and pour it upon the body of the Savior. And let me tell you something. That sure beats going away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we see your love as illustrated in your word. And Lord, I ask that today you would work in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, how unworthy of your love we are. We prove it each and every day. Yet, Lord, you do not withhold your love from us. I ask, Lord, that each one in this room would be willing to receive your love. With men it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. That we may walk together unified by the love of our Savior. Not love we have for you, but love you have given us. that we may return just a little portion of that love as Mary did in calling attention to the Savior. Oh, Lord, work in this church. Use 
us to bring glory and to call attention to your goodness and your love in these last days. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.